0: Welcome back to a midweek podcast uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these, and i've got the three staff past- it's the three staff pastors here Sam ross Daniel speaking here mm-hmm. and we're eager to bring a we think very interesting uh, topic to you, uh, one that came out of our uh, sermon uh, out, of, out of a recent sermon in Genesis chapter six and uh, you know typically uh, we we wouldn't go after something so uh, kind of challenging and mysterious in scripture, but we found that this was a good opportunity for us to do more than just go after a hard topic in scripture, but even to model uh, something that we think is very important, and that is just how to disagree well over yeah. controversial things in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's, <laughs> here's the interesting matter, that all three of us disagree on uh, who the sons of God are in, in the Nephilim in this particular text in Genesis chapter uh, 6. And so we, we want to take this time, the next few minutes, to uh, kind of present our ideas and then push back on each other and just hopefully bring some clarity around that topic and also uh, try to model humility in in disagreement and, and care for one another Well, in that. So I just want to start out by reading this uh, text from, from where it Arises, and then um, we'll dive in. We'll take it. I think uh, maybe we do angels first. Sure. And then um, we can give give you the, the next one, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go last. Save the best for last. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, So Ross will share
1: his his interpretation, and then Daniel and I will present pushbacks. Dan yeah, Exactly. And then Ross will have a concluding statement at the very end. That's right.
0: Sounds great. The best man wins. Yes. Best interpretation. Um, Well, let me read this. This is from Genesis chapter 6. It says, When man began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And I'll pause there and I'll just say that uh, this has been debated through church history, throughout Mm -hmm. church history. Uh, You find three prominent positions uh, that the sons of God are angels, Uh, that's 1st, Number two, that the sons of God are uh, the line of Seth and the daughters of man are the line of Cain and that they're intermarrying. And then three, uh, a like a tyrannical ruler position. And each of those held pretty strong position uh, throughout church history. And we can uh we can touch on those. I don't think yours is, Daniel. <laughs> oh really? No. It's yeah, second is early as second century. Really? Yeah. Okay, so right. well, anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh yeah. we'll, well maybe I'll just mention really quick, uh, that the sons of God being fallen angels, that was perhaps the earliest view prior to the second century. There's there's some text that would uh suggest that people believed that. Um but then even as early as the second century is the ruler's position, that was that was coming into the picture, and then sure. around the time of Augustine and his famous work *City of God*, the Seth's line view really took uh, mm-hmm. took hold and held for a good while. Especially as it was held by some of the great reformers, it it uh, it continued to to you know gain steam there. So <laughs> nowadays, I guess you're right that it, it, the tyrannical Ruler's position is maybe less held amongst scholars, modern scholars, but there's still, still pretty good, uh, I guess... Reasons why you believe that? Well, <laughs> no, I was going to say there's still, I think across the board, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's scholars that, that still hold to all of these positions. Yep. Um, so, why don't, we, why don't we take it one at a
2: time and uh, go ahead give it give it your best shot first, Ross. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, totally a... Mysterious passage here, which I happen to love. <laughs> <laughs> love thinking about these mysterious passages and what, how God provokes our thoughts, and I think teaches us things that we wouldn't learn if it wasn't so mysterious and difficult to meditate on. Yeah. Um, there's a few reasons that I, I interpret the sons of God as, as fallen angels in this context. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, um, first of all, a lot of symmetry. In the story that leads in this direction. If you remember in Genesis 3, there's, there's a fall of Adam and Eve who uh, reached beyond their domain, their allotment from God, and took fruit that was not allowed for them to eat and tried to trespass a barrier into being like God or maybe into being God. Like they, they reach upward and, and transgress against God, trying to. Uh, bring themselves into a domain of knowledge and life that God had forbidden them to enter into.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then we get to this passage, and it uses quite similar language. Sons of God are seeing daughters of men. They're, they're taking them. Mm-hmm. There's another transgression happening here. Uh, Nephilim, which they're called, comes from the Hebrew word nephal, which means to fall. So these are the fallen ones in this, in this context. And it um, seems to me that this is another fall narrative where rather than an upward reach into the heavens, there's an illegitimate downward reach from the heavens into the earth. And in Genesis 3, we see the fall of the human family God makes. And then Genesis 6 is the story of the fall of the angelic family or the spiritual family. And from this point on in the story, there's not only fallen humans, but fallen angels as well. And it seems like that's maybe what's happening in Genesis 6 here, is the comments on the evil and and fallenness of the human heart, and then also the evilness and the fallenness of angels. If you take that term, the sons of God, it, it doesn't show up many places in Genesis, I don't know if it even shows up again in Genesis, but in other places in the Old Testament, like Job, where that term comes up, it refers to angels gathering before God. Mm-hmm. And so, take, taking that term, taking the concept of Genesis 3 and Genesis 6, it seems most, most natural to me to say that this is a fall narrative of the spiritual family, and from this point on, there's, there's also a conflict between God's people and fallen spiritual beings Uh, when later when the Israelites arrive at the promised land in Numbers uh, these beings show up again the Nephilim are there and in Numbers 13 it comments on the great height of the inhabitants and mentions that we seem like grasshoppers before them is what the people of God say and as Israel goes on a conquest in the promised land, it's another judgment event like the flood. And when you see the flood and when you see the judgment in the promised land, it seems that God is carrying out his wrath not only against fallen human beings, but also against fallen spiritual powers. It's both a war against fallen fallen sinful rebellion against God, but spiritual rebellion against God. And perhaps the presence of Nephilim in the flood and in the promised land is the part of the story that's teaching us that God's war is ultimately a spiritual war. So both of these events of combat against rebellion against him are done in the context of fighting against spiritual evil that these Nephilim represent. And I I do believe that that's the discipleship point to take away from this, that our battle is ultimately against spiritual forces and that woven into the story itself, whenever these massive events of judgment or conflict happen, that the fight is against these spiritual beings who are the product of an unnatural uh, spiritual crossing of boundaries into the natural world. And one last thing that I would mention, just before I, I you know, open it up for you, brothers, to push back, is the New Testament authors themselves seem to have a category of an angels falling, And there seems to be some sort of story from the Old Testament or somewhere in the Bible that seems to uh, indicate to them that angels fell at some point. Here's Peter writing in his second epistle, chapter 2, verse 4. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus or hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And then verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and then he keeps writing. But the main point that I see here is that Peter naturally connects in his mind angels falling and the flood, Mm -hmm. because he writes about them one after the other. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like the story of Genesis, the progression of the Torah, and then the New Testament authors themselves uh, see angels falling as, as a, a major event in biblical history, and it seems like this is the most natural, uh, most uh, straightforward story that, that describes that event. So that, that's how I'm interpreting it.
0: I'm curious, before we push back, thank you for that, that's really good. Um, what are the biggest problems that you see with your position? Ooh. The big, I,
2: think, I think the biggest problem that, that I see with my position is that at first glance, it sounds wild. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Only at first glance?
0: <laughs> but then it makes a lot of sense after a while? It's... I mean, Ross kind of said this, but it's... It's it, so unusual. He's based. I mean, we're talking about angels having sex with human women and producing giant offspring. Yeah. That's the straightforward... Like, this is what we're talking about. So, yes, right. it is
2: wild. It is very unusual and strange. <clears throat> and... Um, what, what, what really overcame that for me is, is, is two things. Is understanding that these scriptures are very old and that they're about a, a period of history that's very different than the one that we live in right now. Yes. And also the symmetry in the story, where, where I see how Genesis 3 and 6 fit together. That, that fit is very uh, compelling to me. This idea of this harmony and symmetry in the story. Where we have a fall of human beings and a fall of angels cast next to each other. To me, I don't know why, but that seems to unlock and and, and really help make this seem a pers- like a persuasive and reasonable thing when it's just reading how the story unfolds the history of the world.
0: Yeah, that's good, man. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah, thanks, brother. First
1: Peter one is or the second Peter.
0: Yeah, it was really strong. Yeah. I want to. Yeah, I think we should respond to that. Um, I want to touch on the Peter thing in just a minute. But first I want to go after the symmetry element. I actually feel like that's one of the weakest uh, arguments for, for this position. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Because I think that the whole story, contextually, is leading you to see the increase of human mm-hmm. wickedness. That it's mm-hmm. all, it's all um, leading you to see the, the, the increasing corruption on earth because of man's sin... Leading up to the flood, which is a a judgment on mankind for its wickedness. Mm -hmm. So to me, it seems extremely misplaced if angels are introduced here for the very first time. Mm -hmm. That feels totally out of context. So I understand the connection. I made that case in the sermon that there's a tight connection between the sin of man there, the saw mm-hmm. the good thing or the attractive thing mm-hmm. and took it as they pleased. That's a, there's a tight connection to that sin. Yeah,
3: that's right. But
0: to me, it doesn't seem like the emphasis is to, uh, you know, or, or, the, or there's a shift to a different group of people or, or create, you know, part of creation. Yeah. But really just to emphasize, this is just an ongoing uh, reality that humankind is sinning in great ways Mm-hmm. Uh, by doing as they choose, by yeah, trying to be, become judge and, and be God. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I agree. It feels like there would have to be a lot of immediate context there that would tip the reader off the original context in Moses writing this to say, I'm actually shifting gears and showing another group of people who are falling. It would seem like there would, the onus would be on to show how clear that is Rather than it could be, but it must be, because it would be more consistent with with what the whole narrative in Genesis is that mankind is increasingly getting worse. The corruption of the earth is increasing. And to to then shift it, and I think you use this in your sermon, Daniel, but that the judgment immediately after in that passage is not about angels. He never talks about angels. He's specifically judging man. And that just seems really like, hey, let me tell you about some sick people, the angels who are like totally going out of their created order. So I will judge mankind. Mm -hmm. It's like, what? I mean, maybe judge the women because they're becoming married to them? It just seems strange
2: there. Yeah. Um, And that's helpful. And I would say that the term the sons of God in its context is that tip-off that we're not talking about a normal human activity anymore because of its context in the ancient world and in other passages in the Old Testament. And the reason why I think that it's uh, significant that this is included here in conjunction with the flood mm-hmm. is because the flood is not only destroying human evil, but the product of spiritual evil, the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. And what I think that's connecting or what, what that's communicating through this story is that evil is never just human beings. It's mm-hmm. the coalescence the, of spiritual and evil, and, and human Human evil. We totally agree with you. Mm-hmm.
1: I just find that I would actually disagree with what you just said regarding the context. So I totally agree with you that that truth is there, but I think you have the wrong address. In other words, 100% our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, and we right. know that throughout other passages. But when you talk about context, Moses is writing the Pentateuch. We don't know if the, the, the Israelites were reading Job at this point. So the best reference is the sons of God in Job. Mm-hmm. Twice in Job. So we don't know that. We can't assume that. But what we do know, and in general, our hermeneutics would would aid more weight towards immediate context. In Genesis chapter 4, sons of Cain. Genesis chapter 5, sons of Seth. Right. And, then, and so it would be consistent because Adam is the son of God. Right? We've seen mm-hmm. that. Paul says that later on. And then also in the genealogy of Jesus in Luke, it says Adam... The son of God, um, and so we have a context outside. So you're pulling from Job, which is outside of this context and outside of this um, genre or this um, this author. Sure. So I, I will pull from Luke and Paul, showing that there's a connection to Adam's line being called the sons of God. So there's mm-hmm. precedence for that. And then if we want to wait immediate context the most, which I think in generally we try to do when we do our exposition and exegesis that the, the whole context has been man, 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 man. Mm-hmm. So it just makes sense that they would continue that line of thinking the sons of God would be the sons of Seth or the sons of God. But that I'm getting to my, my whole thing. But I'm just pushing against the whole context thing. I think the burden of proof is it should be more than just saying sons of God. Um, I, I have a couple other pushbacks because I know you're going to have uh, a final statement. Um, I think if you go there, a couple of things. F- Satan has already fallen at this point. And if you look at Revelation twelve four, it seems like he sweeps. The, it, obviously, this is, not, uh, this is more um, illustrative language here. But he says, verse 4, his tail, speaking of drag, the dragon, Satan, swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast him to the earth. And then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth and so, so on. And then in the next section in verse 7, it talks about, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And so, I mean, I see a clear fall narrative here in Revelation 12 that you can't mistake. And it seems that it's simultaneous, it's connected. While in this case, it would be two tiers. So Satan's falling sometime before Genesis 2 or 3. And then, and then later on, the angels are falling on their own, being mm-hmm. fallen ones. And see, I see Revelation 12 connecting them together. I don't say that super strong. Uh, and I, I, but, but I think I have two more final points. Questions and then one really big whopper. All right. (laughs) If this is the case, are angels doing this now? Are fallen angels having offspring with men? Because there's nothing in the text that would say that that couldn't happen anymore. Sure. So that means that among our church there could be people who have angelic DNA. Does that mean every tall shack Yao Ming are they all? Right? Because the measurements of, the, the measurements of, of, <laughs> of, um, that you, we've, we, we learned from DeRoshi, that we learned from even giants like Goliath, weren't mega tall. Yeah. We have people who are just as tall as Goliath now. Sure. So if there's a big, because for me, when I used to take your position, I was really swayed by this idea that there were giants. And like, how do you explain the supernatural case? Mm-hmm. But I would just say, easily, That's how Asians feel around almost all other people groups. (laughs) We're so short and people feel like, you know, so I I can easily see them in their fear being caught up saying crazy stuff. Like we're like grasshoppers compared to them. Yeah. And I would just say that if that was the case, then today we would, this would continue to happen because there's nothing in the
2: text that shared that that shut down. Um, No, I I don't think that this is happening today. Um, And... Yeah, it seems like in the Old Testament, whenever this does happen, God seems pretty intent on stopping it. And I think that's one of the things we're supposed to read from these judgment narratives is that God stops this and, and basically prevents this from ever continuing or happening. And even as I was just reading Second uh, Peter and God talking about part of the judgment being chains that he puts on these angels, I just wonder if that's restraining this mm-hmm. this sort of Mm. Intermingling from ever happening again, so yeah, no, my view is not that this keeps happening, but rather this was more of a an event that happened mm-hmm. and then um and then god 's acting to stop and restrain it what about the
0: nephilim that they, or they call them Nephilim mm-hmm. later on you know in numbers what 's happening there in your opinion
2: yeah, you they made that connection yeah' so, that, that's, that's a hard that 's a hard one, so somehow they 're still there whether um I'm not, committed. I'm not committed to it only happening once in Genesis 6. It might have happened again after the fall. I mean, after the flood. But I do think that because um, even up until David fights Goliath and beyond that, there's still giants that people of Israel are fighting. Mm-hmm. But it seems like through God's acts of bringing judgment against these Nephilim and through his judgment against these angelic powers through restraining them, I, do, I don't think that this is the form spiritual evil takes in our world anymore. Rather, I think it's stories from the past that inform our understanding of spiritual evil, and so when we read like Paul, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers. We're yeah. supposed to think God has always been fighting against spiritual evil, and these stories are our template, our, uh, our imaginative template that encourage us to engage in that spiritual combat also. Yeah.
1: I, I just feel like if you're going to connect... You, I thought you were persuasive when you're using Second Peter, connecting mm-hmm. how he talks about Noah right after, talks about putting them in chains and yeah. Tartarus and stuff. If you're going to say that, then you can't be loose with the chronology of that. You have with to what? say that it stopped right then. You know what I'm saying? Because there's nothing in Genesis 6 and, and the whole flood narrative that suggests anywhere that there was an explicit judgment on the angels or demons. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to make your comment, it had to stop there. And then if and there'd be giants later on, you can't say, well, they were still there, and then maybe the
2: judgment still hasn't happened yet. Like, you can't have both. Well, I would, I would say that it's just, it's very mysterious, the de- and the Scripture's details are very scant on what actually happened. And um, I'm not sure exactly how it all works out, how it all worked out.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to just push back briefly on the Second Peter 2 section here yeah this is Paul uh, condemning um, false prophets and and uh, teachers and he's he's uh, he's saying that there is condemnation coming on the wicked and he gives actually a long list here mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's essentially uh, he just he's like one he didn't spare the angels yeah two he didn't spare the ancient world, yep. but flooded them. Three, he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes. Four, you know, It's just like a, he, he's, he's going down the line and explaining that God brought condemnation on people. And I don't think it's right to make too tight of a connection between the flood uh, and, and the angels being uh, judged there. Because he goes directly into Sodom and Gomorrah in the same uh in the, in the same sentence, so sure, um, yeah, it just it feels it feels like I, I understand what you're doing there, but I, mm-hmm. but I struggle with it, uh, and just want to make a couple other really quick comments. Um, I agree with Sam. I think the direct context is judgment against man, even verse three, right after the description of what 's happening, he said, "My spirit will not abide in man forever, mm-hmm. right." and then the flood is against humankind. Uh right so the, the context there it, it really m- makes me think this is this is not uh referring to angels um and then a big one for me and I know that this is a little bit debated but Matthew 22:30 Jesus says that in the in heaven we're not going to be like uh We're not going to be like we are here in in marrying and and being given in marriage. But we're going to be like the angels who don't marry or are not given in marriage. And I know that the argument against that is, well, they're in heaven. Those are not fallen angels. Those are those who are living in their natural position. Yeah. Um, but I still think there's there's some there's a pretty strong art case to be made there that he's distinguishing between humankind mm-hmm. and angels and there is a big difference between those yep. two right. one is able to procreate another is not and yeah. and Jesus says we're going to be like them in a different sort of we're going to be in a different sort of mode and I, sure. you know so yep.
1: it and yeah. just on that same line I know this is a lot on you, <laughs> just <laughs> barely. A podcast on me. against Rob. <laughs> we love him. Um, I, I would say probably the biggest one to me is it pushes it, in my mind it's offensive towards the incarnation of Christ.
3: Hmm.
1: God to become man is is one of the greatest miracles and the greatest wonders. Yeah, God being and, and God being spirit becoming taking on flesh. And to see angels doing this on their own power without the supernatural power of God assisting them to do that seems to me making light of the Incarnation. Obviously, it's not the same thing, God becoming man and angel becoming man, but them doing something like that, a prototype of that, seems to go against um, just what God does. I do think that angels you see throughout Genesis are showing up in human form, Mm -hmm. but you never see them do anything like, explicitly like have like, set up shop and have wives and, you know, you see them maybe eating, but, like, that to me doesn't seem very the same. It it seems a a far jump that they're taking them as wives and, like, setting up lives and, like, permanently visible and then also having children that are a crossbreed of man and angel. That just seems like there would just be have to have a lot of text that would explicitly show that that would be even a thing. So...
0: Let's give a yeah. just just two-minute response, if you can. Sorry, we just sure, put yeah. a lot of things forward.
2: No, yeah, there's a lot a lot of arguments there. Um, yeah, as far as the, the incarnation, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's something wonderful that God does, and it seems to me to, to make sense that the forces of Satan and evil would try to corrupt that and do some sort of sick counterfeit of it in mm. the scriptures. That seems like a normal... Uh, way that the kingdom of Satan operates is counterfeiting the good works of God with, mm-hmm. with, disgusting, uh, with disgusting counterfeits of it um, and um, and yeah the, the, like, the, the story of Genesis is, is scant on it is very uh, limited on the details that it gives but the details it does give about angels in Genesis are they do have human like bodies and do human like things mm-hmm. and take like a human form Mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel, to your point about the angels not marrying or being given in marriage, uh, that could also be understood as that wasn't their intent. Yeah. And so when something like that happens, sure. that's the outrage. Mm-hmm. That's part of the outrage in Genesis 6. It's, so I, I, I think that the, the way I would hear your brother's points is more that not that none of this could happen, but that it wasn't supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's part of God's motivation in the flood. Mm-hmm judgment against the sin of people and then against this spiritual rebellion against him as well that both of those things are wrapped up together just as they are wrapped up today the evil hearts of people and the spiritual powers of evil are still wrapped up today in collusion and in influencing each other Mm. and i don't think that that's new to the story i think that's very old and original to the story beginning in genesis 6
0: yeah sweet man thank you so much gave some good good strong arguments let's hear from sam on the I don't position. have too much more to share outside of what I've kind of shared as part of my
1: position is my pushback, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is primarily contextually driven of just consistent with the, the reality of there's a distinct line that is very distinct from Cain's line um, that we saw all throughout Genesis 4 that I preached on. Um, and, or did you preach on that? I don't know. One of us preached on it. It's all mm-hmm. swirling. Genesis 4. And then Genesis 5 just shows this contra kind of line of people who are uh, very much like, um, more like Seth um, and more like God created man to be. They're actually living out the image of God. They're actually not described with all the technological advances like chapter 4 does of Cain's line but they're primarily spreading the image of God and filling the earth with like, the character of God and his ways rather than filling the earth with technology or violence and, and sin. Um, I would also say that um, Genesis 5, uh, Genesis, there had to be a point where something shift, shifted from Seth's line to where the, the flood was necessary. I don't believe all of Seth line was eradicated, and the only people who just died of old age, and the only people left were Adam, uh, Noah, and his family. It just doesn't make sense to me when you think about it. Yeah, when you think about Seth line, there's there's multiple generations, and they have multiple kids. If we're assuming that the genealogy is just speaking about only the people that they had it would make sense that there's, there are other people and then those people had other people, right? And we know that Methuselah, even Methuselah, a few generations removed, died the year of the flood. So I'm guessing that there's, there's kids from him and the kids, of, you know, there's, there's multiple branches. So my sense is that whole line started to deteriorate and not only was Noah standing as a righteous man among the generation, including Cain and all mankind, but also among his line. So that was kind of the issue is that that Line has now degenerated, and they are now becoming like Cain, taking the daughters of man, and man being more representative of the ground, dirt, dirt, the curse. I think that's why he's using that language um, rather than being more and more like the image of God and like Enoch walking with God. Hmm. Um, so that makes sense to me that – because if you ever wondered, like, why, are there, why is only Noah and his family going on the ark? What about hmm. everybody else in Cessline? Line? Yeah. Well, something happened, and I think they started to walk away from God mm-hmm. in that process. And so it just, to me, mine, I, I see problems in mine, but it just seems textually consistent with the flow of thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I have other points, but I can't think of the top of my head now. So mm-hmm. push back, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sons of God. Uh... Oh, yeah, the Genesis. The, sorry, the whole thing with Luke. Using "son of God" connecting that to Adam, oh, so yeah. we have textual precedents in several places where "son of God" is referencing to humans.
0: Yeah, so that's something that each of our positions will will find in Scripture is sons of God being. Yep. Uh, Luke, yeah, it's used for angels in Job, only in Job. Uh, it's used for kings and rulers and Psalms and in Second Samuel. It's used for. Uh, just humans, mm-hmm. uh, like like Sam just mentioned in, in Luke and in other places, uh, or just the people of God, if you read in psalm seventy three fifteen
3: mm-hmm.
0: that uh, the faithful that's the people of God, the faithful are called the generation of god 's sons, or hosea 110 right uh, Israel sons of the living God, uh, calls Israel sons of the living God so yeah that's, a, that's one that 's tricky yep. um,
1: and, and again, for me, context is king yeah. and so whenever we look at words that have multiple meanings throughout Scripture, what tips the scales of which meaning or sense that the author is meaning in that verse you're studying yeah. is the context. Yeah. And I have no context of angels there. Yeah, That's why I tip
2: it to, towards line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't... Uh, I don't think it's, it, the, the term is as fluid as that. Um, Genesis actually doesn't call Adam the son of God. He, do, he doesn't. It doesn't, right. yeah. And I, but, uh, Paul does. Um, Luke does. Sure, Luke does, yeah. Yep. So Luke later does. And and I think the implication of Genesis 5 is that Adam's the son of God. But first of all, I think there seems to be some sort of distinction between the way the scriptures use son of God singular
3: mm.
2: and sons of God plural. Sons of God is, is never a term in the, in, in the Bible that... That refers to to God's creation like that, except for when it's referring to angels. Um, son of God seems seems to be a theme with Adam, and then going through the Israelite kings, like David having a son, and and there seems to be some distinction between the way the term is used in the singular and in the plural, and so um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that the term is is as broad uh, in the context of Genesis as maybe you guys do.
0: Yeah, I, th- I see what you're saying, but there well, in is... Scripture
2: you mean, not Genesis. You mean... Yeah, in Scripture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but there is in Psalm seventy-three fifteen, 15 the faithful, the people of God, are referred to as the generation of your sons, or God's sons. Hosea one ten calls Israel sons of the living God. Sure. So, uh, it's, it is a... The people of God are referred to with As offspring of God. Yes, sons of of God. And yeah, I know that you're right, that that exact phrase, sons of God, is only found in Job. And it's referring to the angels. Right. And that's probably the strongest case, uh, in my opinion. That lexical case uh, for this. But I do think there's weakness still in it. But back to arguing against Sam's position. I think the biggest uh, challenges I have with it are the... The uh, fact that you have to make a lot of assumptions from the previous chapter to, to get that. And here, here are some of the assumptions you have to make. You have to assume that Seth's line alone called on the name of the Lord in that time. Hmm. Um, I think that that could be argued from the text, but it is an assumption. Would you, would you say that it's likely According to the Based it, on what chapter, you're seeing, you do see a, a distinction between Cain, mm-hmm. uh, his line, mm-hmm. and then it says in e, when Enish was born, mm-hmm. in that time, yep. the people began to call on the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. People generally speaking. Sure. And there's even debate around that. That verse is highly debated. In, in, uh, in, but I'm not going to get into that one. But um, another assumption is that Seth's line was entirely wicked while Cain's line was entirely godly which I think is a much bigger stretch. Do you mean the opposite? Um, oh, the here. opposite. Cain's line is entirely wicked. Seth's line is entirely godly. No, it's um, assuming that they're not. That's why they're being... They're, they're taking wives. Well, I'm saying that the previous... You have to assume that, that the previous chapters are saying that in order to then come to the conclusion, oh, these two lines are so separated uh-huh. that now they're intermarrying. Okay. Uh, so then... And, and I just... I, There's comments, you know, like the fact that Cain's line are shepherds and musicians that I don't think you should say you should make a strong distinction and say, see, they're doing really wicked things with their making of musical instruments and playing. You know, that's not the impression you get. It's just making comments about human existence Mm -hmm. um, versus Seth's line. Yes, in Seth's line, you see a handful of individuals who shine above the rest. Enoch, uh, the second Lamech, Noah. They shine above the rest, but you don't get the sense that all of Seth's line and all of Cain's line are just inherently mm. wicked. And then, um, lastly, it, you have to assume that the two lines, and you, men, you mentioned this, somehow remained separate for all this long period of time, you know, and then, then they finally start to intermarry and mm. uh, create this, you know, wickedness on the earth. And I just think that's an assumption that uh, just demands too much. Uh, of the text. And then one, the strongest perhaps for me is that even if you're able to determine that Seth's line should be titled the sons of God, it's difficult to find the same type theological connection with the daughters of man to Cain's line. Mm. Like it's just, it's again, like sons of God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Maybe for Seth's line, but daughters of man for Cain's line, like that one's a lot more loose of a connection. Mm. Um, So I just, I don't, I, oh, I guess you could. I'll just add one more. I'm sorry, I'm throwing a lot in there. Um, it, it doesn't seem that it's explicitly implied that Seth's line is like the elect people of God at this point.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, there are some emerging of godly individuals, mm-hmm. but it doesn't give you this impression that this is the elect people of God. And now they're mm-hmm. they're sinning against you know God by intermarrying, going outside of this mm-hmm. elect people. Mm-hmm. So that those are some of the challenges I had.
1: So yeah. I know you
0: got thoughts, but let me,
1: so I keep them track. There's too many things. So I would say that throughout scripture in the New Testament, if you just put Cain in a search, Cain is constantly con- con- contrasted to Abel and Cain is representative of like the ways of evil. Mm. While Abel in his line, I guess not his line, but <laughs> in search, Abel is represented in, in a good way and Seth seems to be um, like when they name Seth, it seems like a re restarting over mm-hmm. right so like just kind of like carrying that promise from genesis three twenty five or fifteen it's just this idea of like at eve is even Adam are still believing in the promised serpent crusher and they're like they're naming and they're 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 bringing a, another hope um, and so yeah. it seems like seth 's line then carries on that same hope and promise. So mm-hmm. I would say it would feel, carry that elect field. There, there are assumptions that I'm making, but I think there, there are educated assumptions and I have a lot of scriptural weight to say that, yes, I cannot definitively say that everybody in Seth's line for a while were intermarrying and Cain's line were, were intermarrying. I can't definitively say that because the text doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. But I would say that, and you probably would agree, if we read throughout scripture, There is a tendency of people groups to separate and not intermarry. And that when intermarrying happens, especially when we see, and who's writing this? Moses is writing it. Mm -hmm. What did Moses also write? He wrote numbers. Mm -hmm. He wrote these situations where Phineas comes in because a man is with another people group. Like this is a category for the Israelites. So remember, they are writing Genesis not for us first century people or twenty first century people, but actually for originally for the people of Israel. So they have these concepts of intermarry very clear in their mind. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and you are God's elect holy people don't intermarry among the Midianites or the you name the the right. people group, the Philistines. So I would say that there is a lot of textual evidence to say that would be the tendency of what they would do. They would actually separate themselves. Just like Esau and Jacob, their family lines separated from each other, and mm-hmm. they didn't intermarry. They avoid each other because they were enemies. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, yes, the geneal- no genealogy gives descriptions of every single person. Mm-hmm. right? That would be ridiculously long. But what it does is that characteristically highlights different people who are ex- exemplary and characteristic of others. Um, and what I mean by that is your point would stand if in Kane's line, there were a couple of glimpses of people who did well, mm-hmm. but there's no comment on it. We only have bad examples. C- in contrast, Seth's line, we have a few people who are highlighted but nothing said about the other people negatively. Right. So the assumption, I think, is, is warranted that, and by large, it's likely that that line was overall living righteously, hence why there was such a big fall, a 2nd fall narrative. Now God's people, again, even though they're putting hope in Seth's line, is falling all over again and taking that which they should. Hmm. Who are the Nephilim, then, in your view? Uh, I think the Nephilim are simply... Uh, Cain's line intermarrying with God's people and Cain's line was already perpetuating and multiplying violence like Lamech. Uh-huh. Lamech sounds like a Nephilim. He sounds like that. Yeah. He's just this powerful warrior who's murdering people and boasting and singing about it. Uh-huh. And it seems like God's people are intermarrying with his his wives, yeah. sorry, his daughters. Um, so, I mean, if, if mankind is is if if men are taking wives to be their wives, it would make sense for it to be the daughters of man uh, instead of the sons of man because Hmm. they're taking women, not men. Okay.
2: Sure. I want to bring up another New Testament text and just see how you take it. Um, Jude 1 or Jude 6, I guess. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling... He is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursuit unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. So it seems like there's angels that Jude's aware of, cross their position of authority. Sounds like he's comparing it to sexual immorality. hmm if not this story in Genesis, where are you seeing this happen in the Old Testament? Where is Jude getting these ideas from? Mm. Mm. Well,
1: I don't know where he's getting verse 9 from either about Michael the, Michael the archangel coming in. Right? Sure. So I, I have a category for things that we don't have in our Old Testament scriptures
2: that they're getting from Revelation from the Lord. That's okay. why they're writing the scriptures. Yeah. Right. Well, um, I, think, I think it's from First Enoch
1: yeah yeah that's which, what I've
2: heard yeah which does interpret which does interpret uh the sons of God and the daughters of man as mm-hmm. angels uh, having illicit relationships with people, so it seems like Jude uh agrees with Enoch's interpretation in these verses so um is is yeah I guess if it's first Enoch that he's getting these ideas from then it sounds like Jude mm-hmm. agrees that it's angels who are transgressing here by with illicit relationships I don't
0: think so because The context of Jude... He's bailing me out. He's helping me out. (laughs) The context of Jude says that there are individuals, this is in verse uh, 4, who are creeping in unnoticed and who are perverting the grace of our God into sensuality Mm -hmm. and denying our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So I think when he says, likewise, indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire... He's comparing the likewise is compared not to the angels, but to these individuals who are perverting the grace of God and doing unnatural, unholy uh, sexual acts uh, sure. in the name, you know, in the name of grace. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. that's my my pushback on the the context there. I don't again, I don't think that it's as tightly connected. I think that just as Peter has given several examples, I think Jude is giving several examples. Of those who are sexually immoral, uh, those who transgress their position uh, and do what is unnatural and wrong, Mm -hmm. uh, are being judged. I think that's the whole point. He's saying, don't be like these who are judged. So I don't think it's good to tie it it as tightly as you are. But I I, I think it's a good
1: argument. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's a pushback against mine. It's more of a good argument for not to share earlier for yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's good. I think it really is good. I I don't think it's explicit, but I think it's a, a highly suggestive. It's sure. a good connection. I mean, position of authority left their proper dwelling. I can see that. I just I then it it is just tricky to to interpret and understand what it means that they're in eternal chains of gloomy darkness. Um, in that process, like is is being on Earth there. That's another interpretive question, and we can get into all millennialism and all that kind of stuff. Sure, fun stuff too. Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, again, I just say, yeah, I see it, and that's why I don't think I've ever said that your position is wrong. I would just say that I think my position has the strongest immediate textual support. Sure, and I and and I have I have some problems with mine. Like yours is kind of interesting, and I think it could fit but mine seems like I have to be argued out of mine while yours I have to be argued into. Sure. Does that
2: make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And then, so I guess one question is that, so you're saying you, you can't point to anything to identify what this angel stepping out of their authority is. You, oh, I think
1: it's, it's a circular argument. If you think that Genesis 6 is saying that, then it does fit, right? Like, it, in the sense that, like, if I, have, if, if I agree with that, then that's the place I could, it could be. If I, don't agree, if I don't see that there, I'm okay with saying that this is off screen. Like, even Satan's fall is not on screen. Sure. Unless you say he didn't fall up to the point that he tempted Eve. There was, I'm okay with something that happened because sure. it's not the point.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that the angels leaving their natural position of authority is exactly what Satan did when he, when he left and started to deceive and, you know, and led mm-hmm. others astray. It does not have to be tied to sexual immorality. That was my earlier point. I'm I saying don't if, think, even, I'm, though,
2: even though both Peter and Jude tie it to, seem to tie it to sexual immorality. I, kind of kind I mean, I think
0: I made strong cases against that. Oh, I, sure.
2: I, I think that the... And just one other thing. They never <laughs> talk about Satan falling, which does seem to happen off screen, but they do talk about there seems to be something that happens in the story where angels fall. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about Satan falling. They talk about angels falling. Mm -hmm. So it seems like somewhere it's on screen for them. Like, why are they referring to this event if it's not on screen for them? I just
1: feel like, I mean, Revelation 12 was off screen.
2: Yeah. Well, Revelation 12 says Satan swept a third of the angels. Which means his fall fall predated the fall of angels. Uh Uh-huh. So that seems to fit with Genesis, my interpretation of Genesis 6, that Satan fell and then... Uh Uh-huh. In this fall event, he led led them into rebellion against the I
1: I could see it. So again, I guess my whole point is everything you're saying, I could see.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I just have to do a little bit more work. And for me, I'm just really more comfortable staying within immediate context. Sorry, I kind of got back to mine. No, it's okay.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, do you have any last thoughts? I think we ought to move on. No, I I just,
1: I think that's my final statement is I see validity in both your positions, Mm -hmm. maybe more towards Ross's than yours, Daniel, but we'll see, maybe you'll convince me. I I heard you preach about it and I read your manuscript before, we edited it. But for me, it really comes down to just me trying to be a consistent exegete of sticking to what makes most sense in that immediate context rather than trying to pull from other passages Mm -hmm. that may... Possible
0: mm-hmm. can connect. Sure, makes sense. Okay, so I think that the angel, that the sons of God are tyrannical rulers. I think the daughters of men are people within their domain who they are just taking as they please. And, and here's a couple reasons why. So within Scripture, I think there's also cases outside of Scripture, uh, but I'll start with the Scripture. You you have. Psalm 82, scriptures like Psalm 82, which refer to humans as sons of the Most High. They're also called gods, which I don't think means that, they're div- that humans are divine, but that they are rulers like God. So I think uh, you also find in the covenant made with David, him being called uh, God being called His Father and He being called the Son, and there's this kingly line who's called God's Son, and Jesus is ultimately the the final fulfillment of that covenant, being the Son called ultimately the Son of God, which is very kingly. Mm-hmm. That title is a kingly title. Um, so that's I, I think a, a good sh- solid case just for what son, why Sons of God is is used there, that it's referring to rulers. Um, Another element outside of Scripture, uh, John Walton helped identify this for me. Um, there's parallels with this narrative in ancient tales like the mm-hmm. Epic of Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. where you'll find, like, uh, you'll you'll find like flood narratives in that epic. Uh, so you know that it's kind of it's around this time. Gilgamesh mm-hmm. was known for being a tall warrior. He's known for being a tyrannical and violent leader, he's said to have had quote, the right to the first night with any whim- woman mm-hmm. who was getting married in his kingdom, yeah. which I don't think was just like a, oh, you are the son of God, so we're going to give you our wives willingly. It's, no, mm-hmm. if we don't do this, we're going to die. Like, that's the mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the idea here. Um, he's also claimed to have been descended from the gods, which is what most ancient Eastern rulers claimed. Mm-hmm. Like, we're a son of the gods, yep. right? Yep. So there's Pharaoh. this there's this idea that there, there's this uh, div- divine. They have a divine sonship, right? Uh, there's this idea of these tyrannical rulers taking, and if they don't get what they want, then they kill. They're they're evil, evil men.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think that they're also described as the. I think the Nephilim are examples of of the sons of God, and I think that the Nephilim are are. Um, uh, perhaps the offspring, or perhaps just some of these, some examples of these rulers. Uh, but uh, but right after that, in verse four, right at the end of verse four, it says that they are these are the men of renown, or the men, the great. Uh, how does it put the it? Mighty into, men of old. The, the mighty modern, m- men, the men who were of old, the men of renown, which I think again is an example that of these great ruler figures, these mighty warrior people that emerged above the rest and were respected by all and became like these little gods on earth as they ruled over people and yet they were evil evil rulers and leaders Um, and this is what God is condemning is the wickedness that is being modeled by the leaders by the rulers there where we were made to be images image bearers of, of God all of us little essentially little gods on earth who are spreading his image in all that we do with our hands and with our might. Mm-hmm. But instead these these gods, so called gods, these rulers, are promoting violence and wickedness yeah. in their in their activity. So again overall the the picture oh I just want to say quickly that I don't believe that the epic of Gilgamesh is is like the Genesis has borrowed from it. I also don't believe that it's Genesis 6 is talking specifically about Gilgamesh, but I think it gives us a picture into that ancient context and gives you this framework that there's there seems to be uh, these great rulers and great warriors that lived on the earth. And it does seem different. You gave this, you know, you said a stronger argument earlier, like this is a different age. Like this is an ancient uh, time, and it, and it was different, mm-hmm. and I think what we, what I would say is yes, and what we know is that there were a different, uh, there's just like rulers on the earth who just emerged and were unchecked, because nobody could challenge them, yep. sure. they were great men, so in my interpretation ultimately, the sons of God are the hero- heroic tyrant kings of old, the daughters of men refer to fema- any female in the kingdom, and, and God is judging them and putting an end to these oppressive reigns. Um, the last thing I—I oh, guess I already—I already made a comment about the nephilim, but um, yeah, the picture is essentially uh, human rulers who are who are leading the way in wicked practice, and then it's just kind of others are following suit in that, and it's just increasing wickedness in this great cycle of evil.
2: Mm-hmm. So. Give me your best shot. <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. So I think what you're describing is in the story, uh, especially in Genesis 4. Lamech, Lamech seems to yeah. be seems to be exactly what you're describing—a mm-hmm. brutal man who takes what he wants and mm-hmm. kills who doesn't. Anyone who gets in his way. Yep. Yep. But it seems like Genesis 6, there's an escalation beyond Lamech. There okay. Sons of God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how I read it. That's there's right. yeah. sons of God. Daughters of men producing Nephilim. So I guess if, if we already have what you're referring to in Genesis 4, without sons of God being mentioned, without daughters of men being mentioned, without Nephilim being mentioned, what are these terms doing in Genesis 6? What's oh. those terms? like? What's, what's, Mo, what's Moses' point in talking about sons of God and daughters of men and Nephilim there? Mm. Well, I think Lamech is
0: a, is a really solid example. Uh, of these these men but I think there is an escalation and I think that's the whole the whole building up to the flood is an escalation of it it's not just Lamech mm-hmm. but people who are becoming like him but, but in greater measure because like, there's more people under their care so it's just it's increased wickedness at, at the time of Lamech there weren't that many people on the earth you would sure. assume but now it's like hundreds of thousands of people under the rule of one mighty ruler perhaps yeah. and he's just absolutely brutal so, so
1: I, I would actually, so to support your case, Daniel, kind of breaking the rules of, of how this works out. But <laughs> when when I look at Genesis four through six, I think the chronology is a little tricky because tricky. Genesis five is kind of giving this genealogy that goes all the way to Shem, Ham, Japheth, right? And Noah, um, and then six, one kind of, Speaks in this terminology that can kind of like be zooming out of what's going on because chapter 5 also at the very end of chapter 4 I mean talks about the people calling upon the name of the Lord mm-hmm. so chapter 4, 5, and 6 to me are kind of ambiguous with time where it's kind of mixed mashing because like even the Lord saying my spirit shall not abide in man forever this would assume that they have been doing this for many years mm-hmm. so that would predate whatever this date God says that within temporal creation in chapter six one through three that means that's that was happening so Mm -hmm. that was happening during chapter four and five Mm -hmm. so it's just a little tricky so yeah i agree like i was like amening you ross when you're like what is he adding to say chapter six i could also see it being a restatement Mm -hmm. of what's going on sure yeah so 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 so, real, real quick chapter three ends Chapter 4 is talking about one line. Chapter 5 is taking out one line. And in chapter 6, zooming out and saying, this is what's going on overall.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Genealogies are weird like that, where they will do that, and they'll kind of transcend the normal, normal c- chronology.
2: Sure. Yeah, so... But even so, I guess... I know. I guess I'm just, I'm just wondering, Daniel, what, what, who are the sons of God and daughters of men, then? And what do those terms mean? Well, he, like, yeah, he, he, than... he did argue for that. Yeah, I I'm think like the sons of God
0: are, are rulers... Uh, I think that Scripture gives a uh, gives other examples of people being sons of called sons of God. So the rulers, the daughters of men, yeah, I think are just examples of of people in the kingdom. Um, they're just they're just women in the kingdom, and mm-hmm. I and I do think there there is an s. Uh, yeah, you you could ask the same question of why are kings in the Bible called sons of God?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's. Yeah, it's. I guess. I guess maybe what what I struggle with that in that view, is the sons of God are just normal kings, and the daughters of men are just normal women. So it doesn't seem like anything out of the ordinary is happening in their sexual relationship. So it doesn't. It seems like it's just a bare statement of fact that's not adding anything to the story. But yet, yet Moses chose to include that detail. And what you're saying it's communicating is that just people are having children. No, 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 no. I'm saying that it's
0: rulers who are Having abusing. Children. It's rulers who are abusing.
2: Oh, their... taking other people's wives. Yeah. Yes.
1: Well, well, potentially, but just in general, I think I agree with him. This language they took as their wives, any that they choked, It's it, mm-hmm. likening the same kind of language like we've all recognized multiple times now of Eve. Sure. She, they're deciding what is good. They're taking autonomy. They're deciding. They're just taking. Okay. It's not like a. And then they romanced these mm-hmm. women and pursued them court, in in a courtly manner. Sure. Yeah. So they're, they're, you're it's just a forceful, saying
2: this is pointing towards... abusive abuse of power. Abuse of sexual relationships. I, and, That's right.
1: And so I, I I could see an argument, Daniel, of saying that the sons of God are just mankind in general. And they're just taking women. But then then it would just be tricky with why are they... The daughters of man, like why is there a distinction of daughters of man? You know, instead of just daughters. My
0: only, my best case is just that there is a distinction between a ruler and just someone in the kingdom. Sure, Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. I I just think that it's it's a ruler. Yeah, it's clearly there's there's a discussion about mighty men, these men of renown, these great warriors. They seem to be tied somehow to the Nephilim, and I'm just saying I think that the tie is pretty tight sons of God, Nephilim, men of renown. These the are the same
2: person or the same type of person.
0: Yes. Or they're the, op, the offspring are, you know, there's, there's basically generations who are following the same practice. The sons of the kings are doing the same thing, right? Like they're doing evil. And we see this all through history. Like sons of yeah. kings did exactly what their evil dads did. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they would kill their dad for their dad's spouse. Like evil, evil, yeah. nasty things, right? So, um, yeah, that's
1: that's I what I see. I don't okay. disagree with you that this is uh, this is possible, and that there are this is a true true reality throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. In true reality, likely in Egypt too. Who was he? Was like the son of Ra or something like that? Yeah, the son of sun god or whatever. Yeah, right. So I, I can see that in being connected, but again. I don't know if I would have read that. Like, if I kept reading Genesis over and over again without reading ancient Near Eastern literature like John Walton does, um, I just don't know if I'd see that. I'm not opposed to John Walton, what he's doing. It just seems like, again, I'm not going to be a dead horse. It just doesn't seem to f- fit with the context as nicely as my view does.
3: <laughs>
0: but I do see it, too. I, I'm not opposed to it. Well, here's what we have Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as... As we close up here, um, we have three positions that are doing their best to make arguments from what we from scripture. Yep. Like the Bible interprets the Bible, scripture interprets the scripture, mm-hmm. and we're all working as I hope you can see to uh, make the best case from what we have. And yes, you can do some work outside of scripture. You can try to find ancient Near Eastern texts that give you a picture into that, but still the best the best cases you have are just just coming from scripture and uh you have to keep in mind context which you've heard us do all along we're trying to we're trying to get you know forward and back and then you you have to keep in in mind the new testament which we've also done and and because the new testament is a commentary on the old testament Mm -hmm. and so we're we're trying to to model for you how to uh try to answer big questions like this Um, and we've done this not on our own like we've had a lot of (laughs) <laughs> commentaries and yeah. a lot of people that we're, we're working with to try to understand these things, and we hope that you'll do the same. That you'll you'll dig in when you have questions of the Bible. Yep. That you'll do it in community because yep. we are not like we shouldn't study the Bible all alone. This is just a dangerous thing to do. And also look at church history. Uh, we're not you know just the people on on the earth right now are not the only Christians that are the only people that have studied this book. So look at church history. Yep. Get get a get a grasp altogether, and then the last thing I want to say is, this what you believe about this does not significantly affect, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the most important elements of the That's Christian right. faith mm-hmm. today. And so, if you if you take one of these positions, mm-hmm. even the angels one, I don't believe that holding the angels position, like. Somehow uproots uh, that that Jesus alone can save, and that you know that the cross and the resurrection are sufficient for it yep. right it doesn 't right. so just know that, and you can humbly disagree with one another and continue to worship next to one another, serve yeah, on staff right. next to one another mm-hmm, yeah. and uh, we hope that you 'll continue to to be able to model this same sort of uh, disagreement and debate with with brothers and sisters as you that 's right most certainly come across yeah. things in scripture that you mm-hmm. Are going to struggle with. And we, we disagree,
1: but we're not divided. That's right.
0: So thank you, brothers, for your time and energy here. And uh, it's fun to, to get yeah. to debate a little bit yeah, together. We hope this is helpful to you. To and we'll put up a poll and you can vote for which <laughs> position seems most persuasive. Nice. We won't do that. All right. Well, we love you, church. God bless you.